Oscar Poker. Actually, I actually arrived here last Tuesday. This is Saturday. Uh, so, um, um, and you've been here since Wednesday. And it's been delightful, the entire thing. Um, um, the, how have the films been, though? How the, well, it's not so much... It, the films are good, and it was good to see Spotlight again. And it was... Uh, I, I did, by the way, last night. We talked about seeing um, Room a second time. And mm. I did watch portions of Room. Uh, and it played exactly as it had played for me in Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't detect that there was something that I had missed before, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I just didn't feel like going through all that again. Uh, by the time they got back home after they had been rescued... By the way, the audience clapped big time when... Um, the boy. The Jacob Tremblay, the boy. No, when when he's in the cop car and they and they go back there and somehow they get into the door and they open the shed up, and she's been rescued too. When they saw her coming through the fence, she's uh, uh, she looks. Uh, you know, people were like, "All right," you know, they were into it. It was a, a big response. I mean, because you're so nervous that they're either something's going to go wrong, the kid's going to get killed, or. She's going to get killed. He's going to know that the boy's gone. He's going to kill her. And just the, the, uni the uni unification of them, the reunion, is, is probably, I think, one of the most powerful moments in the film. The two... But she overacts, Sasha. She really does. We're talking about Tensioner and uh, Brie Larson, of course. She, she really, really does overact a lot of it. Uh, the uh, the moment I, I, I again that moment when she sees that he is in the car, she looks like she he she she's responding as if he's hanging by his fingernails over a hundred and twenty foot uh, you know chasm of some sort, and he's about to be and she has to grab him or he'll he'll be killed. I mean she looks terrified, and he's in the back of a cop car. Right, right, right. You think, you're saying that she should have been like, when she saw him, just totally relieved. Just totally relieved, yeah. And he's obviously right. safe. What are the cops going to do? The cops are safety. The first, but she's terrified. She's alarmed. She's freaking out. My God, my God. Oh, no. You know. Well, the thing is, is, I mean, I get that from just a, you know, a mother. I know it sounds crazy, but that primal freak out 
uh, that biological freakout when you're a mother. That's why I was surprised by that scene because she's not really a mother, Brie Larson. She's never had a kid. So I was surprised that she connected so well to that. I mean, that's me. <laughs> that's me if like my daughter misses the bus and I can't get a hold of her, <laughs> you know? And I'm like driving up to the elementary school and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, this is it, this is it, this is the... <laughs> you know, I mean, you get frantic, you're completely crazy. It's not even women's fault. It's totally biological. It's a, it's a freak out, adrenaline rush thing that happens to you. And, and I think I just... Wait, let's just be specific. You, your daughter has missed the school bus and mm -hmm. you, are, you do not know where she is. Right. So you get upset naturally. Yeah, but especially, especially, I mean, you have to add on to that, you know, held for however many years in a tiny room. You have to add on to that her being raped by this guy, getting impregnated and having a kid with him and then trying to protect. I mean, you're not dealing with an ordinary woman here. You're dealing with an, a woman and put in a girl, a teenager, put in an extraordinary situation that... Oh, no, she was a teenager when she was kidnapped. Right. Seven years. Well, seven years inside a tiny room, you know? Well, all you have is this little annoying little kid and, you know, who's driving you nuts. I mean, you know, she, she tries really hard not to get driven nuts by him, but she's driving as any kid would do. Kids are annoying. Most people don't know that. But, um, you know, and then she's, that's her whole life. And, you know, the movie, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm one of those people that go, you know, that thinks Room is just the greatest movie I've ever seen. And, I, but I did think it was really good. I mean, I watch. Somebody said something a couple days ago that struck a chord with me, which is that if you just take yourself out of the specifics of the plot, like why doesn't she, why isn't there some, uh, uh, indication that she has tried at least to, uh, let's say, post-coital. A lot of guys get tired. Maybe he nodded off. I mean, it's but he's been keeping her for all these years. There was not one opportunity. That was my first thought, but I actually I understand why. The reason is that he has a, a combination code, and when he comes in, he locks it. And when he goes out, he locks it. And so he's in. He's locked in with her, and she doesn't have the combination. If she killed him. Um, he, they couldn't get out. They'd be stuck in there. So if that's... If she tied him up, if she tied him, let's say she... And did what? Tortured him for, yeah. you know... Cut, 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 cut his dick off unless he tells her the code. Actually, that would be a really cool thing. That would be a great play or something to write. That would be a great one-act play, actually. Yeah. The kid tortures him, too. They find, Or maybe the kid, like, has been you know, likes him and is standing up for him, you know, and she's trying to explain to him why he shouldn't do that, but he's human and he can't help it, and it would be an interesting kind of study on torture. Anyway, but anyway, well, that wasn't very, not very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> he has a code, so it's not, you can't just open the door. And he hides. How do the cops get in so quickly? They just go to the backyard and boom, she's out. Well, cops have hardcore, high-powered ammunition they can shoot, um, they can that shoot. That would be very, um, uh, or prudent, uh, given that somebody might be inside. You don't want to put a bullet through a tin door or a tin wall, do you? Well, they could have showed that, but they didn't. But we assume that that's what was going on. I assume, anyway, that um, that that's what they were doing. They were kicking the, they, they shot the door down. I mean, mm -hmm. the only part that I thought strained credibility was the, when they found the boy, this is a slight spoiler, mm -hmm. um, Actually, this whole conversation is a spoiler, so if you've listened this far, you already know what the movie is. But um, 
But you know, no, when they, they know we they know that he, they don't stay in the shed, the in this awful confined space for the entire film. And when I heard that uh, early on, I said, "Well, at least there's that aspect, and it's not you know, mm -hmm. at least there's something more than just confinement." Right, <clears throat> right. Well, um, the thing that I thought was really hard to believe was that the cop could figure out where he was talking about when he was saying "up, boom, yeah. up, stop." Yeah. left like I didn't think that um, I liked that the other cop was being an asshole and that the one cop was paying attention I liked that but um, uh, I, I needed a little more information there to believe that she could have found the place like that you know a little more conflict in terms of is it this place no it isn't that place you know build the tension a little more I mean then again you're already dying by that point so to reunite them as soon as possible is probably you know, helps the audience through it. Plus, once you find out that that's not really the movie, that mm -hmm. the movie is like the whole second half, then it's, it's, you kind of figure, well, that's why they went through it so quickly. They just want to get them out and then get on to the rest of the story. And also Bill Ma Macy's uh, judgmental behavior after she gets out. He plays her biological dad, who is separated from Joan Allen, who's her biological mom. And he is very relieved and weeping when he sees her and they hug in the hospital. It's, that's very natural and very human that he's enormously relieved, but then a couple of scenes later he won't literally look at the young kid because he doesn't want to acknowledge the, you know, the horrible monstrous father of the kid or that whole episode. So he's not dealing with it, so therefore he kind of is removed or removes himself from, from the story. That is not a very satisfying thing. I just don't believe that somebody would be that blocked and that uh, boringly limited in their, in their spiritual ability to, to you know, assess. Mm. I mean, this is, a, this is such a joyful thing. He has lost his daughter for seven years, and now she's back. And then he separates himself because he can't look at the child. It seems very facile um, in terms of, you know, trying to introduce wrinkles in terms of character. Right. Well, maybe they might have helped it with, if they had shown how much the boy looks like the rapist. You know, like if, let's say, the rapist was black and the kid was black looking, you know, mm -hmm. then, then it would be kind of a visual thing. You look at the kid and you're just like, I cannot see anybody but the person who raped that kid, you know. It's interesting that the, uh, the, the, the rapist, uh, his name is Big, what's his name? Big, Big Scrunched. Uh, Face, he is, 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 he's not particularly what I would call handsome, uh, but the kid is beautiful. The kid's, mm. kid has wonderful eyes, and, and uh, it just doesn't look like they're... Really, right. Well, it was hard enough to find the kid. I'm sure finding the kid to look like... They should have cast the kid and then looked for the guy that looks like the kid, you know? Like most movies pay no attention. They just figure, we want someone who's good. The audience will accept that they are father and son or right. And I don't. I, every time I see it, I, it's so rare when they do resemble each other. Right. They don't cast that way. You're right. They would never cast that way. But um, sometimes casting works out re in really weird ways. Like in Steve Jobs, the Catherine Waterston, who plays um, uh, no the daughter, the one who plays the older daughter, looks exactly like Steve Jobs' real daughter. I mean, it's uncanny how much they look alike. So that was interesting casting. I mean, they could almost be the same person. They looked so much alike, but um, but it's rare. Um, so you watched Room all the way to the end. Is that what you did? 
<clears throat> no. Um, when they got back, as I, as I have indicated, that uh, flannel shirt wearing new husband of Joan Allen's is. Uh, when he came in, I, just, I kind of just said, okay, I've, I've, I've tried it, and I just don't want to uh, watch it again. I'm sorry. But I just didn't feel like uh, – I wanted very much to just go outside and, 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 and smell the air, and it was Halloween night, and I just, just didn't want to sit there. I mean, there's plenty of times to watch a screener, you know, so I, I'll watch it again. I will watch it again. I just didn't feel like it. Yeah. Isn't Halloween tonight, actually? Well, I, I think most people regard the weekend as a Halloween Right, right, uh, right. You know, occasion. Right. So here in Savannah, everybody's going to be out in costume tonight. I, I mean, when I was here in 2011, that was the last time I was here, um, they mm -hmm. were, everybody was in just fully dressed up, out at cafes, partying. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, West Hollywood or New Orleans or something that way. So I'll, I'll be anxious to see if it, it's really that way tonight again. Oh, incidentally, uh, the after party for the room crowd that went to see it at the uh, Trustees Theater was at a large, um, formerly what I'm sure is a residential home. And it's one of SCAD's many, many uh, buildings that they have. And it's on Bull Street and not too far from Heidi's place. And they uh, basically have um, pieces of art inside on the first and second floor. And uh, I went uh, in just to see the, the wonderful staircases and the size of the rooms. I mean, I've never really been. Oh, sounds great. We're talking about ceilings that are, what, 13, 14, 15 feet high. We're talking about uh, rooms that feel so big that if you were to live in one, it would almost feel like you don't need all this space. It's just uh, astonishing what the whole thing is. And this is the way homes were routinely built in the 1800s. Do you think they'll have any more parties in there? Or are we done with screening now? Was room the last one? Uh, they have an after party every single night, including tonight. Oh, for Lady in the Van? Is that, uh, that's a late afternoon, though. Isn't there something this evening, something happening this evening? Mm, I'm not sure. I'll have to look. <clears throat> the, the evening screening is I Saw the Light. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Martin so... And Olsen. By the way, did you, they, they told me uh, via email that uh, Elizabeth Olsen was here and that if I wanted to maybe get, you know, have a word, that uh, let them know and they'll, they'll try and work it out. And they said she's available. And I don't, I think it was yesterday, from 2.45 p.m. to 3.15 p.m. And I wrote back saying, you're she's available for a half hour is that a typo or did you really mean 90 minutes or something no yeah. that's it one half hour and, and isn't the the movie opening next year though so you know they had booked uh, you know they they arranged these things in the what late summer most likely uh -huh. and, and they knew it was going to be a toronto film and that the plan was uh for sony classics to bring it out theoretically this year or why not why bring it to toronto right so they changed their mind and decided to bump it into March. I think it was maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago, something like that. Mm. So they, they, they were already locked in. So, it just happened. so this afternoon we're planning on seeing two movies. We're going to see 45 Years, which I've already seen and loved. Right. And then we're going to see The Lady in the Van, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which and I have no, no interest seeing that I just uh, you know, homeless women homeless anybody I don't I have no interest in seeing because my experience with homeless people in general and she was no nothing to, is that they're very thorny they're no day at the beach and it's, it's interesting but they have so 
little uh, power, they have so little ability to do anything other than by the good graces of others. And yet, paradoxically, uh, most people who are without shelter and have no, they, they tend to be very, um, very contrarian personalities. Uh, oh. and, and so basically, not to mention the hygiene element. So basically you have to uh, deal with a contrarian personality for, you know, what, 90 minutes, two hours, I don't know. And I, and I just sort of know where it's going to go. I know that she's going to gradually endear herself to everyone. And they come to love her despite all her, <clears throat> you know, curious personality mm. aspects and, and that's I don't know where it's going to go from that but I, I'm going to get a you know give it a shot she's a wonderful actress who doesn't respect Maggie Smith so yeah. right right maybe it won't be that bad you know yeah maybe no. There's a chance that it won't be that bad. Uh, the play is supposed to be really good. It ran for a really long time in London. Everybody really liked it. I think it's going to be like funny, quirky with one, mm -hmm. you know, c kind of like Mr. Holmes, you know, where it's like it's semi-serious toward the end, but most of the time it's going to be like entertaining, funny, quirky. You know. Yeah, and Maggie Smith was in the play, right, all the way through. Mm-hmm. I think so. So let's talk quickly, best actress, because I know that Scott Feinberg put up his predictions, and his Scott Feinberg, um, the Feinberg forecast, he calls it. He does it. Um, he was he. Uh, that happened this morning, or no, a couple days ago. He put it in, and um, the thing is, is he's not. He's he, you know, he can be right and he can be wrong like everybody else, and so. Um, but basically he's spitballing like everybody else is, you know, everybody has their own, um, you know, everybody has their own sort of viewpoint of the race and, and what movies they think are the front runners and what movies they think are going to get in. But the most surprising thing about his predictions, I thought, mm -hmm. was for best picture, he put, uh, uh, straight out of Compton in there. And took out Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is like way down the list, like number 13 or 14 or 15 or something. It's not anywhere near Best Picture. He also has Brooklyn in there. He has the three, his three top movies are The Revenant, Joy, and um, The Martian. And that's three from Fox at the very top, which I think is highly unusual. I've never been seen I've never seen anything you like that. You almost said Spotlight. He does not have Spotlight. Oh, no, he does. Of course he does. He has Spotlight in there. No, you know, everybody, that's the only, Spotlight's the only sure thing right mm -hmm. now. So that's where Argo was in 2012, I remember. Um, Argo was, was one of the ones that was a sure thing, and that's why it was so surprising when Ben Affleck didn't get a nomination because, oh, we can talk about Ben Affleck too, but um, the, uh, that's why it was so weird because right now we feel like, oh my God, spotlight. So if Tom McCarthy somehow gets less left off the best director list, that'll be similar to what a shock it was when Ben Affleck was taken off. Like that's how of a sure thing everybody thought Argo was and did turn out to win. Um, but anyway, so he's got it on his list. He just doesn't have it predicted to win. He has two movies that nobody's seen, and then behind that, The Martian. So I read that to think, well, he thinks The Martian's going to win because you can't predict movies to win that you haven't seen. So here's okay, the here's the interesting yeah. thing that I think about his list, and, and something that I've sort of heard rumblings from uh, Chris Tapley and a few other people, is that they've got Blythe Danner in there for number five, and I just don't see, I, I watched that movie and I thought it was okay. I didn't think that she's any, for instance, she's certainly not better than Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years, which we're about to see. She's not better than Lily Tomlin and Grandma, if we're talking about 
you know, the older actress part. Um, but I, I just think it's interesting that he has Blythe Danner, of all people, in number five. I have no idea where that comes from. But um, So the two surprises from his list to me were Straight Outta Compton, which I don't think we'll get in because of the domestic violence stuff. I don't think it has a chance. But it did make a lot of money, and it's really successful. And he's a black uh, filmmaker, and they could certainly use some diversity in the race. So um, he, I think he has him predicted F. Gary Gray for best director too but that domestic violence thing is messy that's really messy but it's crazy to me he apologized and he spent his whole life apologizing Dr. Dre has for that and I don't think you should punish him for it now at all but I, I think that it's tricky when you have a movie that's glorifying these guys and where they came from and you don't even include one tiny moment where they were, you know, doing terrible, terrible things, but... My own um, best actress thing as we speak is uh, Lawrence Larson, Kate Blanchett, Saoirse Ronan, and my fifth, which was just thrown in there without giving it a lot of thought, but I thought her performance was, was at least interesting and, 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 and intriguing, you know, you wanted to, was Lily Tomlin, but I guess that's, that's gone, or, or at least that... He, I don't think it's gone, no way. She's mm -hmm. really popular, she's got a lot of friends in the industry, and, mm -hmm. and that whole movie was designed around her. Now, you mm -hmm. can't, I mean, Charlotte Rampling in 45 years, I think, is going to win a lot of critics' awards, and I think that's going to help her. She's going to be like the Marion Cotillard of this year, I figure. Okay. But I, I'm not quite. I'm not. I don't think I'm putting her in five yet. I think that I think Charlize Theron has a really good shot from Mad Max. Like uh, she was wonderful in that. That was her movie, yeah. and everybody thought she was great. But she's not doing anything. She's not making the slightest effort. Well, she is. I just saw her at a thing at a Q and A with George Miller and her, and um, so she's she she's coming out a little bit. Not for him. Not for herself. Oh. You know. But the one who's doing all the stuff is Brie Larson, and that's why she's going to win. She's and let's also remind that um, before we speak briefly of, about Blythe Danner is that um, my personal favorite, uh, I realize that there's some kind of blockage, is, is uh, my personal favorite is Carrie Mulligan, not just for her superb suffragette, but also absolutely excellent um, Far From the Madding Crowd performance, far mm -hmm. and above the performance that Julie Christie gave back in 60. Seven, not to mention having seen her in Skylight um, on Broadway last May. I mean, this has been a banner year. For, and why, why do people keep dismissing or pushing it down? Because they don't think Suffragette was striking or original enough. I don't know what the problem is, but they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I have her in number five. With Cher. I have her or Lily Tomlin getting in for number five. Although the locks in the category, the locks are... I mean, we think Joy, we think Jennifer Lawrence, by everything we know about David O. Russell, everything we know about her, everything we know about the story, she's got to be a lock. Mm -hmm. And then there's um, Brie Larson, who's the front runner to win, probably. Um, Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn, I think, she carries that whole movie. It's such a lovable part, and she's so great in it. That's another lock. She's perfect. She's just perfect. Everything she, she does is right on the money. Oh, she's great. She's just yep. great. And then, so who's number four again? Well, Scott's number four, to go back, I'm sorry, I have to click back here, uh, is Kate Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett, that's a lock, too, so that's four. And then so you have a fifth spot open, which is going to be that last spot. But I, I, think, I think Carrie Mulligan has a really good, good chance to take it. You know, you know she's doing a, uh, she's out on the, on the, she's doing a gathering uh, that I got invited to next week at, um, is it Luke on Melrose? Like the same place they had the gathering 
for Eddie Redmayne last year. There, she knows she has to do it, and they're, you know, they're all trying to help that movie, you know. What you just said, they're trying to quote unquote help that movie. In other yeah. words, it needs help. In other words, it's. I just don't understand why there's a dismissive thing, but there is, uh, and I. Uh, it's basically tanked at the box office. They don't have it. Doesn't have a lot of advocates, you know, and it's not going to do well. So, how that's going to play out in terms of the Oscars, I don't know. You know. Is there, you know, talk about Scott's curious. Uh, um, a passion for Straight Outta Compton. He's also got F. Gary Gray as a best directing best director frontrunner. I, I don't get that at all. Pretty well made film. I was completely satisfied with it. I didn't have a problem. But it's just you know a good this happened and that happened type of movie in which these various chapters uh, are told, various stories are told. This happened, then that happened, and it's fine. But I don't see where the where the excitement is coming from to, to ignore if, if you're going to have a, a fluid fifth choice what about George Miller uh, who did a you know world class superb job on Mad Max uh, what about Carrie Fukunaga the director of Beasts of No Nation no there isn't even a fifth slot that uh, that Scott Feinberg thing is um, with all due respect and I think he's a really good predictor and he really likes Straight Outta Compton and he sees that it's a movie that made 160 million dollars and and the Academy's always trying to be diverse, and a lot of people really liked the movie. I don't think that his choice for um, best director is right. I think that, um, that the category is already, just like best actor, it's already way too crowded. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like um, uh, Ridley Scott the Martian, um, Spotlight, Tom McCarthy, you've yeah. got you know Todd Haynes maybe for Carol, you've got uh, maybe Steve Jobs for... Oh, Danny Boyle for Steve Jobs. Maybe you've got Steven Spielberg. Maybe, maybe you've got Lenny Abramson for Room. You know, these are a lot of. Scott's responding to the uh, to the perceived um, weakening and the sort of the uh, Steve Jobs having not opened that strongly, and also having uh, yeah uh, people feel a little freer to say what they really think about it, and it's it's not uh, <clears throat> usually, usually like film. And I think that well, what he's saying is. Universal is going to get one in there for their great year, and they're probably they're not going to get Steve Jobs in, but they're going to get something in. So it might as well be this movie. But um, I don't agree with that myself. I agree with you more about Carrie Fukunaga or George Miller for Mad Max. I think George Miller has a really good chance. Right. And the re and we're not even talking, you know, in a retu, right? He's mm -hmm. going to he's definitely in, and David O. Russell for Joy. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredibly crowded. I don't see, uh, even if somehow, by some miracle, Straight Outta Compton got in, mm -hmm. um, there's no way that, I mean, there's just no way that, that uh, he's going to get in as director. But we'll see. I mean. It's not distinctive enough. It's a, it's a good film that I liked all the way through. And I said, this is well told. This is a good story. I'm, I'm enjoying this. This is, this is, it's alive. You know, it's got a, it's got a lot of feeling in it, but it doesn't have that, aura of, of importance. It doesn't feel profound. It doesn't echo. At least for me, it didn't. I just thought it was a, a really great story of a, of a great legendary group, and it was well told. So right, I don't see right. the problem with it. It's just that it doesn't feel like it has that extra thing. I know it's popular. It's great that it made 160. That's terrific. Yeah, that's a lot. And Universal's had such an incredible year. Um, but uh, so, you know, the chances are really good that it, that it could get in, but um, 
I don't know about director. I think that's a long shot. I don't feel the critical acclaim for it the way I, f I feel with some other movies, and generally that's what you need to get into Best Director. Right. Even if not Best Picture, but you need that for, for Best Director. So, because mm -hmm. um, that's, a, that's a hard category to break in. So, what else can we discuss here? Do, do you we got to go is what we got to discuss because it's if you want to see that movie, we got to go. <laughs> right. Wait, we didn't talk about Ben Affleck. We didn't do that. We have to do that really fast. So, so Jeff, Jeff and I, Jeff rode his bike and I followed him all the way out to the train station here in Savannah to see Ben Affleck. Actually, the Railroad Museum, not the Oh, okay. <laughs> the Railroad it's, Museum. It's museum with real tracks and with real cars. It's a fascinating place. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a must-visit uh, for any visitors to Savannah. And then there they were, uh, without any uh, problem, uh, the shooting Live by Night, which is a, a, a period gangster film set in the 20s, late 20s and early 30s. Yeah. And as is directing, and he co-wrote, uh, co-adapted um, uh, the book by Dennis Lehane, mm -hmm. and he's also the star. So. And Jeff did some sleuthing and found out that the that they were filming that day, and he even knew, even knew the call time. And so it was kind of approaching magic hour. It was a beautiful day. We rode our bikes, and we were walking, and I kept like following Jeff, and then stopping. And Jeff would be like, Sasha. Sasha, come on. I'd be like, no, no, it's okay. Just You just go ahead. I'm just going to stand here. And he's like, come on, just, just be cool. Be cool. If you walk into a movie set, like it's not a big deal, like you're doing something, like you're an electrician or, you know, you're somebody's manager, then it's fine. People will smell it on you if you don't believe you. That's right. And it's true. It was like being around endangered species or like wild animals because it's true. If you just act normal, nobody says anything. Nobody asked us who we were, why we were there. Nobody, not one person. Well, so. actually, wait a minute. No, the manager, a woman in, in some authority, very nice woman, came up to me and introduced herself, asking me who I was. And I said that I was just there uh, in Savannah for the film festival. And then I know Ben a little bit. And I uh, we just dropping by to, 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 to have a look-see and no biggie. Say a thing. She said, okay. And Ben Affleck was sitting there the whole time. And then he just happened to stroll by. We were standing there, and he, he looked over in our direction, and Jeff said, hey. And, and he said, hi. And he said, you know, Jeffrey Wells. And he said, oh. And he came right over and shook Jeff's hand or whatever, and they chatted for a few minutes, and then he walked off. He was all dressed up in his, fort, in his 1930s gangster-type suit. I mean, I would think it was like a gangster, right, sort of what he looks like. Yeah, it was actually, uh, I wouldn't call it a gangster suit. Uh, gangsters tend to dress loudly and, uh, you know, they try to punctuate and make a statement about how distinctive they are. It's kind of a bland beige brown suit, you know, nice looking for the 30s, I guess. Nothing, nothing to get too excited about. Right. It was authentic looking and spiffy shoes. And so it's, uh, and it's only the third day of shooting when we uh, got there. They, they just began two days earlier. Right, right. So they're going to keep filming. It looks, I mean, it just looked, it's so great. It was it's just so much fun to, to watch the movie set where, you know, they're moving cranes and there's people in costume and makeup walking around and, you know, this beautiful building and you can hear them going, you know, roll sound, <laughs> roll speed or whatever it is. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. But, yeah, um, but anyway, so we got to make it short, but we'll, we'll talk maybe more about this next time. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com.
Bumper music was Come Undone by Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan and Lou Reed singing Halloween Parade. Thanks for listening. Happy Halloween. There's a downtown fair singing out proud Mary as she cruises Christopher Street. And some southern queen is acting loud and mean where the docks and the badlands meet. This Halloween is something to be sure of. Especially to be here without you. There's a Greta Garbo and an Alfred Hitchcock and some black Jamaican stud. There's five Cinderella's and some leather drags. I almost fell into my mug. There's a Crawford Davis and a tacky Cary Grant. And some homeboys looking for trouble down here from the Bronx. But there ain't no Harry and no Virgin Mary. You won't hear those voices again. And Johnny Rio and Rotten Rita, you never see those faces again. This Halloween is something to be sure. Especially to be here without you. There's the born again losers and the lavender boozers and some crack team from Washington Heights. The boys from Avenue B, the girls from Avenue D, are Tinkerbell and Tights. This celebration somehow gets me down. Especially when I see you're not around. There's no Peter Pedantic saying things romantic in Latin, Greek, or Spick. There's no three bananas or Brandon Alexander dishing all their tricks. It's a different feeling that I have today Especially when I know you've gone away There's a girl from Soho with a t-shirt saying I blow She's with the Jive 5, 2 plus 3 And the girl for pay dates are giving cut rates Or else doing it for free The past keeps knock, knock, knocking on my door I don't want to hear it anymore No consolations, please, for feeling funky I gotta get my head above my knees But it makes me mad and that makes me sad And then I start to freeze In the back of my mind I was afraid it might be true In the back of my mind I was afraid that they meant you The Halloween Parade At the Halloween Parade At the Halloween Parade See you next year